The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. We are Pete and Faz. I'm Matt Fazelport, joined by my co-host, broadcast partner, Pete Feldman, here in studio with me this Sunday night, April 25th, 2021. We have a jam-packed show tonight, lots of baseball to discuss. We'll also be joined by Zach Rosenblatt, the Giants beat writer for NJ.com, to discuss the upcoming NFL draft. And we will give props to the resurgent New York Knickerbockers. But before we begin, I just want to remind everyone, you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can visit our website, WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all the past shows and check out any upcoming show information. And lastly, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast at WGBB Sports Talk on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anybody anywhere you listen to podcasts. And before we jump into the show, let's give a shout-out to Bill Donahue, who was on before us. He had a great show. Definitely check out all his archives and show your support to him as well. And, Pete, without any further ado, they've let us back in the studio for another Sunday. They didn't just let us back into the studio. They let us back on Long Island, which is, a, <laughs> which is enough of a surprise. Amazing, after, right? Uh, I think the last time we were on Long Island was maybe 15 years ago, and... They weren't too keen on letting us back onto the <laughs> island. They had uh, they had some sort of border patrol right there on the southern state ready for us. But today, no problems. We're back. But there were some exits blocks. I was getting a little nervous. It was a little weird. What was going yeah, on, on the belt? Right, we, 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 we were on the belt. Uh, we were on the belt parkway. Yeah. Um, but that's your job. You know, when you're in the passenger seat, you're supposed to be navigating. You're supposed to be looking at your phone. Figuring out what's the best way to get here. I had to drive and navigate today, and I feel like that's a little bit of a burden. Are you saying I uh, I dropped the ball? You you didn't pull your weight. Wow. <laughs> we did get a pregame meal at Outback, so I got you there. Well, that's perfect. <laughs> Before we go any further in, into the Belt Parkway or the Outback or whether or not they're going to let us back on Long Island, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, the Mets with a 4 nothing win today on the back of Taiwan Walker and some serious swinging of the bat from J.D. Davis. Wow, he, he, he you, I mean, you made the point to me on the way in here, he was swinging like his job was on the line. It, it was almost as if he knew Luis Guillorme has gotten a couple starts yeah. in third. He has a, if I say he has a much better glove than J.D. Davis has, I'm almost doing a disservice to Luis Guillorme. Uh, he has a phenomenal glove as compared to J.D. Davis on a team that maybe defense isn't their strong point. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> See, it, it, he was, it seemed as though he could have, lost his job at some point, but he, he came out today ready to go. Uh, on the other side of things, the Yankees dropped one. They draw after going out to a 3 nothing lead, which is yeah. the they were, opposite they, they were of cruising the along. You know, they, they came back the last uh, two days after yeah. uh, being down early. Today, the opposite happens. They got to come back late. Uh, they, the Cleveland has to come back late, which yeah. they do. Uh, they pull one out. Uh, We've got uh, Zach Rosenblatt coming on in about ten minutes to talk Giants and the upcoming. Can you, can you NFL believe the drafts draft? here already? It's. 
I cannot believe we are, what, four days away from the NFL yeah. draft? It's wild. I mean, in this draft, I mean, it's obviously gotten pushed back, in, you know, over the last few years. I mean, it just seems like it starts later and later. But see, I feel like free agency was yesterday, and we're, here we are at the draft. So, I mean, and this is a really compelling draft this year. The really, really compelling one. Well, there, there's a lot of different things that the Giants can do now, uh, given the offseason that they've had, uh, bringing in Kenny Galladay, bringing in a Dory Jackson. It, it, we're going to talk to uh, Zach Rosenblatt yeah. about this, but now it, it almost seems as though the Giants can pivot and look at a few other things and a few other holes they need to plug up. Well, between what you just described with the moves they've made in free agency, then you add in that there's probably going to go five straight quarterbacks or something along those lines to start the draft, and they are comfortable with Daniel Jones. So they have given themselves a lot of options. I mean, Dave Gettleman, we, as it's been very, very widely reported and talked about, does not like to trade back. Maybe this is the year, but uh, you know the, Met, the the Giants do have quite a number of options of how to go about this this year. So I mean, and and again, because of the COVID stuff, you had some guys who opted out who are top prospects, but who knows what shape they're in at this point. So it's a really interesting draft. So I'm excited to talk to Zach. He's a great beat writer for the uh, NJ.com Star Ledger. So we're looking forward to that one. Uh, excited for that, and of course, we're going to save it for the main event today. The second half of our show today, <laughs> something we so rarely get to talk about, finally, the hottest team in New York, the New York Knicks. Yeah. Go New York, go New York, go. Right? Can, can you believe it? And and not just, like, the thing is that's so amazing about and remarkable about this tournament, it doesn't look like a fluky thing. I mean, they are legitimately playing good basketball. They're currently in the fourth seed. They, they've got, if the season ended today, which we know it doesn't, they've got home court advantage first round. A team that came from nothing. We're going to talk about all of this in the second half yeah. of the show. And I know there's going to be a name mentioned there. Oh, yeah. That you're going to want to talk oh, about. Absolutely. So, uh, we won't, we won't blow that one yet. But for a few minutes here until Zaka calls in, you, you know, we started with baseball and you, you got to start with Friday's performance. Jacob DeGrom. That was, wow. I mean, just a. We there's we've run out of words to describe the guy, but that was otherworldly. That performance. We've seen a no hitter from Johan Santana. We've seen one hitters in the playoffs from guys like Bobby Jones of all people. Yes. Friday night, Jacob Degrom is the greatest pitching performance I have ever seen. Come out of somebody in a New York Met uniform. Yeah, I mean, and I, I believe it was the next day that the um, when Steve Gelbs was reporting, he said that the Nationals were happy to just get the first hit they got in the game because his stuff was so ridiculous that they were almost they thought they were going to be no hit. That's how good he was. Two hits, fifteen <laughs> strikeouts, complete game shutout. I mean, you're just talking. This is not like normal, even upper echelon kind of performances. Like these, this is next level stuff. Two hits and fifteen strikeouts, and it, he made it look easy. And, and uh, it was two, a two hits at the plate. Two hits. Uh, uh, it's, it's wild. He I, is. He's getting better. He's thirty-two years old, and the guy is is like, and not like incrementally better. I mean, he is. Every time I see that like, I watch this guy pitch, he, so he's sitting at a you know, hundred, hundred and one. I mean, the slider, ridiculous. Who can touch it? The last three years of Jacob Degrom, for, forget the, the the that it may be the greatest three year stretch I've seen from any pitcher since Pedro Martinez. Yeah, he has gone 
Cy Young Award, Cy Young Award, in the mix for a Cy Young Award in the shortened season. And now, somehow, he's added a fastball that's suddenly topping out at just over 100 miles an hour. It's crazy. And I don't know if you saw the, the strikeout compilation. Somebody put it together on Twitter with just Keith Hernandez and ooing and aahing in the background every time. With that, that slider, you hear, ooh. <laughs> it's just like crazy. Don't, crazy. Don't you dare sit there and try and make it look like Keith Hernandez was the only one ooing and aahing. Because I know I was, and I'm sure you were, too. I mean... I really have not seen anything like that before. And, and, and you just to describe the Johan, I mean, those starts were must watch starts, much must, must see television. You know, we always talk about a, a appointment kind of television. Pedro's era, very much the same. This is on another level. It really is on another level. So I have, I have a friend that I was talking to on Friday night. Uh, he's a lot like me. He's a big Met fan. He's a big Ranger fan. He happened to have the Ranger game on. Uh, for him, the Rangers take precedence over everything else, and that's fine. They're trying to make a playoff push. Yeah. As, as unlikely as that seems right now, they're making a push for it. But we were going back and forth, and I asked him, I said, are you really watching the Rangers instead of the Mets when Jacob DeGrom is on the mound? Because a few years from now, however many it may be, when Jacob DeGrom is no longer pitching, you're going to be wishing you could watch someone like that every fifth day. It's true. It's really, and, and you know, I, I, again, I'm sure everybody would be like, oh, here's two Met fans gushing about Jacob DeGrom. But, That's fine. But, I, but, you know, the thing is, because he's such a really low-key, kind of quiet guy, he's one of those guys that anybody, I, even, you know, opposing fans, everybody seems to at least respect him. You know, I don't ever, you don't ever talk to anybody who really has a bad word to say about the guy. And I think anybody would agree that this is just on another, on another level right now. It's absolutely incredible. It's an absolute privilege. It is. To be able to watch him pitch. You dream of having someone like that on a team you root for. And the Mets have had him for, for what, seven years now. He's going to be able to opt out, I think, after next year. Yep. They are going to do everything they can and everything in their power to sign him to an extension. That's going to happen. Whether whether they, they agree to something or not, you know, in the Steve Cohen era, there is going to be an attempt made to extend Jacob DeGrom yep. at some point. They want to keep this guy wearing a New York Met uniform for his entire career. No doubt. And, you know, another amazing part of you know. A, major part of that performance too was that they were coming off three really really rough games in Chicago so you know the, he truly played the role of a stopper and really you know not only stopped the bleeding but changed the narrative heading into the weekend I mean Stroman tough outing you know some more defensive issues but then today Taiwan Walker really strong but DeGrom I mean not only just Again, another worldly performance, but he it was at a very, very crucial time. Well, that's what happens when you have a true ace. And um, Yankee fans, I'm going to give you a little love right now. The Yankees have their own in Garrett Cole. They do. And the whole idea here behind having that true ace is that it should minimize losing streaks. Losing streaks are going to happen during every season to the to the best teams we've ever seen. They've had losing streaks also. But when you have guys like Jacob DeGrom or Garrett Cole, these are the guys that are supposed to be able to put a stop to that. And Jake, that's exactly what Jacob DeGrom did Friday night. Uh, Stroman didn't back it up so well on Saturday. No. He, and, and again, it's tough because he has pitched very well. I mean, yes. I mean, 
Yeah. Honestly, it, any other team, it, we would be looking at it like a you know superstar, but because it's next to Degrom, it, it seems almost you know kind of mild in comparison. If, but if before Saturday or before yesterday, if Marcus Stroman had been pitching on any other team in baseball, he would have been their best pitcher thus far this season. This thus far in a very shortened season, and it's along the same lines of what your Garrett Cole has pitched exceptionally well. You know, also, but. Degrom, he's on such another just level that it, it it's just drowning out anybody else. And you know, in addition to being the stopper in in this you know this circumstance, um, you know, it, it was just also good that the Mets got a win behind him. I mean, for as great as we're describing that he's pitched, I mean, what are they eleven games under five hundred in in this crazy historic stretch? I mean, it, it's wild. Uh, just the you know, and, and then it's important that to change that narrative. That, oh, you know, DeGrom goes out and pitches these amazing games, and the Mets just keep figuring out ways to lose it. So he just kind of, it was like he took matters into his own hands. Like, yes, there's no way I'm losing this game. He he definitely helped himself on Friday with a couple hits. He, he just, they, they call it, and I know they, they said the same thing on SNY, they call it the Little League game. The guy that's uh, pitching yeah. is also your best hitter. He's driving in runs. He's shutting out the opposing team. Jacob DeGrom gave you a Little League game on Friday. Uh, M- Marcus Stroman did not back it up on Saturday. Uh, it, it's That's okay. He's going to have those starts every once in a while. That's fine. You have to live with it. The bottom line is they came back today behind Taiwan Walker and got themselves a win. Well, and it was a big game for Taiwan Walker to be able to, to step up like that. He had a uh, – I think it was his last start he uh, – I uh, gave up a few runs. He couldn't get out of uh, the fourth inning or the fifth inning. It just walks, and he lost the strike zone. But he comes back today, a very nice performance, and the Mets get a win. Absolutely. And we'll come back. We'll revisit some baseball stuff later on in the hour. But right now, uh, on the line with us, we have Zach Rosenblatt, uh, the Giants beat writer from NJ.com. Thank, Zach, thank you so much for uh, jumping on with us. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh... So, you know, as I was telling you in, in the lead-up to the show, uh, Pete and I both love reading your stuff. You've had some, some great stuff on the Giants, um, you know, the last bunch of weeks. And uh, before we get into the, the draft stuff, um, you know, I just wanted to, to talk about um, kind of the aftermath of, of the free agency. You know, Giants really surprised a lot of people, made a lot of big-time moves. Of course, Kenny Galladay, Adoree Jackson. You know, as, as you are around the team and, and just – kind of getting the reaction of you know how it all turned out i mean you know just just describe the excitement and you know what the feel is of this team you know post free agency and headed into the draft yeah you know it's interesting you know i I don't think i expect i expected them to make go after like one big free agent and then kind of do under the radar for the rest of it but you know they paid leonard williams they paid kenny galladay they paid adore jackson and they gave a guy like kyle rudolph a little more money than i expected but Mm -hmm. I i think the feeling around the team is that they have no more excuses anymore. You know, they went six and ten last year, barely missed the playoffs, even though they probably weren't good enough to be a playoff team in reality. And so they went and spent a lot of money. So and that tells you that they want to win right now, which I, I don't know if, if everybody expected that strategy necessarily. Um, and 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 that's the it's, just, it's now or never is kind of the feeling I get, especially with like the front office and, and in terms of job security and all that stuff. And and then the, and, and the biggest takeaway you have is that they're putting it all on Daniel Jones. They're putting it all on the offensive line because. They brought Daniel Jones back, didn't bring in any competition, and they haven't really done anything on the offensive line. So they're, they're banking on those two things really mm. improving because the talent around them 
is as good as it's been in a long time. So yeah. it, it, I think the pressure gets ratcheted up, certainly, especially in a division that wasn't particularly good last year. And there's definitely a level of excitement around here. I think people were especially excited when the whole Kenny Galladay saga was going on because it was like a whole three-day <laughs> yeah. thing where there was rumors yeah. constantly. People were hanging on, you know, every <laughs> word that we were tweeting. And it, that, that part was exciting. Cause I, I don't know if we've had something like that around here in, in a few years at least. Yeah, uh, Zach, Pete Feldman here. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, so we know that the Giants had to go ahead and restructure some contracts in order to fit Kenny Galladay and Dory Jackson and Leonard Williams all in. Uh, how do you see that impacting them in future off seasons? Yeah, that's the interesting. And Kevin Abrams has even talked about this recently. Um, they, they structure contracts in a way that they normally don't, and they kind of had to because you know they decided they were going going to go on a spending spree. And so, in order to do that, they had to get creative because they didn't come in with a lot of cap space. So. Saw them structuring contracts that were backloaded, which they don't like doing. They're like trying to even out the cap hits. And they did a few restructures, which they don't like redoing. So they're really banking on the cap going up. I don't think anybody thinks it's going to go up significantly next year. So mm-hmm. I would, would be surprised if they went on another spending spree next offseason. But, you know, they're, they're, they have a lot of things coming up that they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna have to go safe on Barkley's contract soon. If, if Daniel Jones becomes what they need him to be, they're going to have to deal with his contract in a couple of years. So it, it, the cap flexibility, like they're, they're, they really are just banking on the cap going up, and that's kind of why they did that this way. They made it so a lot of their contracts are really small cap hits in year one, and then it goes up significantly in the next few years when, in theory, the cap will go way up, and then it won't be that big of a deal. So they, they just need the NFL to get back to the revenue stream that they're confident that it will. But, yeah, it was very interesting that they approached it that way because, again, I, they just haven't really done it like that in a while. So I, I was surprised by that a little bit. Absolutely, and you just mentioned Saquon Barkley, and that's, again, outside of the draft stuff and the free agency stuff, that to me is the number one kind of question issue because, first of all, they signed Devontae Booker to to a, a deal that, you know, with significantly more money than anybody would have expected, let Wayne Gallman walk for a lot less. What are the feelings around the team about the health of Saquon Barkley? I mean, is, is he 100%? I mean, are they expecting... You know, the, the full Saquon Barkley experience. I mean, or, or you know, are they going to bring him along slowly? Like, what's the, what's the sense you get around this, the team? Yeah, I, I think their feeling is what you kind of probably would expect is that he's a freak of nature and so they expect it not to affect him. I think they've been carrying themselves like he's going to be the Saquon of old. I think, you know, even though he is a freak and his physicality and all that, like just historically, unless you're Adrian Peterson, which was obviously an outlier. Like the, the first year after an ACL tear, the odds of you being the same player you were right before it are slim. Like I think Dalvin Cook was a good example of a guy that his first year back he struggled a little bit and then he was dominant the year after that. I don't know if the Giants can afford to wait that long because they have a decision to make on his contract. Yeah. You know, it's going to be very interesting because, you know, historically, even if he's great, historically these, these running backs that get big contracts, they don't even make it to the end of the contract. Todd Gurley is probably the worst example of that recently. Definitely. He's not even on the yeah. team right now. So they, there's so much they have to weigh there. I, I, I get the sense that they're going to give him a lot of money. He'll probably be one of the highest paid running backs. They're, they'd be smart to wait. I, I mean, they have a few, they have like a week or two before they have to decide on his fifth year option, which will only be seven million dollars next year, which isn't too bad. But after the, if, if he plays the season, doesn't hold out or anything like that, you know, then, then they're going to have to come together and sign him to a new deal or, or next year things are going to be very interesting. So it's a very interesting thing that's going to have to play out because, like I said, you know, the teams that pay a lot to a running back generally don't really win Super Bowls. So, um, like you said, it's the most interesting thing kind of attached to this team right now that they filled all these other needs and beyond the Daniel Jones and the offensive line and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, it, it's just, it's, it's going to play, if he gets hurt again, then I, I don't even know what they're going to do at that point. So. 
Zach, I want to I want to kind of move forward here. You know, the the draft starts Thursday night. Uh, every Giant fan in the world right now is is excited. This is probably the most excited we've been in about a year. Uh, is there anything that stood out to you from what uh, Dave Gettleman had to say this week? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the stuff that stood out uh, was was more about you know the way he described like the. The kind of players that he knows his coaching staff is looking for. I thought that was interesting. You know, he described specifically linebackers mm-hmm. as they want guys who can do more than one thing. Um, and you, you know, so like that, that made me think of, you know, there's a lot of talk about them going after edge rusher. I don't think if they draft an edge rusher early, I don't think it's going to be a guy that is just a straightforward pass rusher. I think that's why somebody like Micah Parsons becomes more interesting to me and, and, you know, guys like that who can do multiple things and line up at multiple spots. Cause I think that aligns with Patrick Graham's defensive stuff. Generally, I think they, they probably weren't showing their hand too much. I, I think I tweeted this earlier, like I've changed my mind about who I think the Giants are going to draft about a hundred times in the last week. I think there's so many different directions they can go. It's very interesting and kind of fun to cover going into the mystery. But, um, yeah, the biggest takeaway is that, I mean, it's pretty clear they're going to go after an edge rusher. It seems like they're high in the edge rushers in this class, maybe a little more than people, you know, that are covering the draft are. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how they address that position. And, uh, we're, we're uh, talking with Zach Rosenblatt from NJ.com here on Sports Talk New York. And, and Zach, um, you know, before, and we'll, we'll see if you can give us your, your pick before uh, you wrap up with us tonight, but um, who are the, you know, on, on social media and otherwise, who are the fans clamoring for? Who's the top guy that Giant fans are reaching out to you, try, you know, that they want more than any other? I would say the number one is probably Devontae Smith, uh, the mm-hmm. Alabama receiver, obviously, won Heisman last year. Um, it's, he's, I mean, he's the, the, he's always going to be a guy that a fan base is going to fall in love with because he's the quote unquote sexy pick and, mm-hmm. you know, the big name. Um, I actually seen a lot of fans, uh, pining for, uh, Rashawn Slater, the offensive lineman from Northwestern. And there's a lot of Michael Parsons love too, because I think people really like his talent ceiling. So I, 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 th- I, I, I tweeted, I asked a question to fans last week, um, or a week or, a week or two ago, like what, what player getting drafted would make you the most angry? And they were pretty much were like, we would be happy with everybody except for, if they reach for an Ed Rusher, what's the general reaction? Because I, I think at 11, they're in a pretty good spot to get somebody really good, especially if you have five quarterbacks going ahead of them, which is a real possibility. So then that pushes mm-hmm. some really good players down to them. So they're going to be able to choose between someone like Smith or Jalen Waddle or Parsons or even one of the corners like Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn. Like they're, they're going to they're going to wind up with a blue chip prospect, which is a pretty big deal for a team that needs them. Uh, do you have any intel on uh, any rumored picks that the front office definitely does not want? I, I honestly, th- there hasn't really been much about what they don't want. Um, I would say, you know, I like I said, I keep going back and forth on the kind of guys they're going to go after. I, I I tend to think they're not going to get someone like Michael Parsons just because there is the character component with him, and he has some questions about his maturity. And I think that they saw that all the mistakes they made with all the questions that came with DeAndre. Bay. It's a d- different situation, obviously, but. The questions that came with DeAndre Baker a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they have someone in the building, and Sean Spencer who knows Parsons really well. Um, but yeah, I, 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 would, I lean towards them not picking Parsons, but even if he does kind of fit them skill-wise. Well, and I guess that leads to the most obvious question to you. Then, I mean, do you have you made a, cho- a, a prediction, or have, have you kind of come to a consensus for yourself who you think they're going to pick? Um, as we see here today, I, I, I do lean towards someone like Devontae Smith, um, just because of the okay. way I think the board is going to play out. Um, I think they, they like their offensive line more than the general public does, which is why I think they maybe will be willing to pass on Slater if he was there. I think I just think 11 is way too early for an edge rusher, whether they feel that too, I'm not sure. But Devontae Smith, if they really go with the best player on the board philosophy, 
um, it's going to be him or if a guy like Patrick Sertan is there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went corner, even if maybe fans don't love that idea. So I would say Smith would be my number one and maybe Sertan right now if he's there, number two. We know uh, Dave Gettleman's uh, rep- draft reputation is to never trade back, and it seemed like this week he was uh, a, a little upset with that description of him. Do you think there's any chance they do trade back? At, that's, at this point, it's such a ridiculous stat that he's just never done it in any round. Then <laughs> until he does it, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that he won't. I, yeah. the, his quotes that he said the other day didn't really make me think necessarily that he was even really seriously considering it. Um because, you know, he said something, someone asked him about, you know, they only have six draft picks in this draft, which I think is like the second fewest in the league. And he's like, you know, I'm totally fine with having six picks, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. Um, I, I, I think especially this draft, I think it makes a lot of sense to trade back and get some picks for next year when it's going to be, in theory, one of the more deeper draft classes ever just because all the guys that went back to school. Um, yeah. But, yeah, again, like I, until they do it, I'm just going to assume they don't do it at this point. Yeah, and speaking of Gettleman, one thing I'm always curious about and trying to constantly try to figure out is the working dynamic between him and Joe Judge. They kind of seem like they're cut from the same cloth, like mindset-wise, you know, kind of an old-school throwback football minds, but obviously two completely different generations and kind of, you know, how they came up in football. How would you describe or characterize their relationship and, and how it all works from free agency to now the, the draft process? What, what's the sense you get? Yeah, that's one of, been one of the more fascinating things about their structure the last year. I think it's become increasingly obvious that the influence that Joe Judge has had. You just look at the way they approach free agency. They wouldn't sign Kenny Galladay until they took him through a three-day process. They, they risked losing him by doing that. They did the same thing with the Dory Jackson. They brought in Kyle Rudolph. You know, if you look at the free agencies that Dave Gettleman did before Joe got here, he went and signed Nate Solder on the first day, and that was a disaster. He went and signed Golden Tate on the first day, and that was a disaster. So I, I think there's like many ways, and even just the way they they you know, like approach scouting, and you know, they Joe Judge's higher, uh, construction of his coaching staff is really college heavy, and I, it's you can just tell that Joe's influence has been significant. And in, in my my opinion, I think it is if, if Joe, you know, didn't feel like he had a good working relationship with Dave Gettleman, then I don't know if Dave would even come back this year. I, I think Joe has already exerted that level of influence on on the organization, and but they seem to have a good relationship when it comes to making decisions. I think. Dave defers to him quite a bit more than maybe he did with guys like Pat Shermer. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, that's just a very thing that interesting to see how it plays out, especially if things go poorly this year. I'm curious to see how that, how that changes. Uh, staying on the Joe Judge front, uh, one of our big themes has been the, the change in the culture that Joe Judge has brought with him. Uh, are there any Joe Judge stories or anecdotes that stand out that, that show how he's shifted the team culture? Um, you know, during the season, I wrote something at one point um, that that just—I mean, when I heard this, it really just caught me out. You know, Tom Coughlin was always famous for when guys would make mistakes, they would get in his doghouse and then he would bench them for a few weeks or whatever it was. And and I had someone tell me that there there are players in the locker room, like notable guys, that are, that were that were scared uh, of getting into his doghouse. And I—it's I, not that they you know were scared of him as a coach or anything like that, but they they wanted to, you know. Follow his rules and and do everything right, and he you know he doesn't like you know there, there was a whole thing that was made about him making players run laps, and it seemed like they really embraced it. it could, that could go wrong in a lot of ways, you know, treating them like they're in college or high school still, but they seemed to really embrace it, and it seems like you know he, he everybody assumed he would be a Bill Belichick clone. In a lot of ways, he's very similar, but I think he does a really good job of being personable with these guys, 
Um, I think you saw that a lot with the way Logan Ryan talked about how, how he, you know, when his wife was going through something, he was ready to let Logan go to Florida to be with her and, and all this stuff. I, it, it's really surprised me how much the team has embraced him. And it, it's been cool to see. I mean, again, it, if you're, it, everything he, uh, is good when you're winning and when you're losing and that kind of stuff could go off the deep end. So if, if they lose a lot of games this year, maybe all the goodwill goes away, but I get the sense that. He's already won over this locker room and this building, and it's been very interesting to see for a guy who had never been a head coach before. Yeah, and and I'll kind of close with this, uh, Zach, along those lines of what you're saying, because this is something Pete and I talked a lot about during during the free agency kind of odyssey that you're describing with Galladay and Adoree Jackson. That not only did they, you know, they make these guys go through this process, but then also, you know, along the lines of what you're describing with these other, you know, the, how kind of close the team is. Logan Ryan was flying back in. Jabril Peppers, you know, whining and dining yeah. these guys. I mean, I mean, from my vantage point, I mean, this team appears to be like in the, you know the, the locker room, uh, very close on and off the field. Clearly, I mean, is it as it appears? I mean, is this team really that tight? I mean, it, it, does, and that, does that start from Joe Judge? I mean, it's the best vibe I can remember from any team, probably outside of the, of the Super Bowl teams. Yeah, you know, whether everybody loves each other or not, I think they all just believe in Joe Judge's vision, which is ultimately all you want is everybody flowing in the same direction. And, you know, you even saw it with the workouts that Daniel Jones put together in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Half the roster was out there, at least half the offensive roster was out there. And You know, there's been guys all over the country that have been working out together with the, the new free agents, the guys who are already on the team. And it really does seem like they're all coming together. They They believe they can win this year. They really do believe it, and uh, I think it really starts with Joe Judge and you know his messaging and and his me- and and all that. And, and the crazy thing is, like he, they're going to go another off season with with barely being in person with him until training camp. But this is still all just kind of working virtually and all that stuff. And Joe Judge has just pulled it off somehow, and it's impressive. You know, he put together a, a coaching staff also that really is just connected with these guys. You think of Patrick Graham in particular. I, I think he really won everybody over and showed that he can be a head coach one day. And, and Joe is, you know, he changed, he changed the culture of the Giants where I think it was kind of stale a little bit there once Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo kind of brought down the energy around here. And then Joe Judge came back and he looks like a Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin type and, and everybody seems to be buying it. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm with you on that wholeheartedly. And Zach, just to kind of close things out here. So, um, your, your prediction as we sit here tonight, a few days, uh, heading into the draft, you, you think Devontae Smith or a certain type and or any other surprises, any other predictions you have uh, for this this weekend coming up? Uh, I, I think it, it all kind of depends on how, what they do with that 11th pick. I, I would say if they don't pick an edge rusher there, I would keep an eye on uh, the the possibility of them trying to maybe, if a guy they like, like Aziz Ojolari from Georgia, falls to the end of the first round, like maybe they try and trade back to the bottom half of the first round like they've done in the past. I think Dave Gettleman has never been scared to trade up before. So mm-hmm. I, I, if there's going to be a surprise, I would say a trade up would be the surprise to look for. All right, great. Well, Zach, thank you so much uh, for all the info. Really great intel from around uh, the Giants building and, and heading into the draft. We really appreciate you joining us tonight, and we definitely will talk to you again soon. Thank you, man. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Zach Rosenblatt with NJ.com, Giants beat writer. And uh, we are Pete and Faz on hosting Sports Talk New York on WGBB. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. 
Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. We are Pete and Faz. I'm Pete, I'm Pete Feldman sitting across from my co-host and broadcast partner, Matt Fazelpour. And before we jump into the second half, I uh, just want to remind everyone, you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit the website at WGBBSportsTalk.com. And over there, you can listen to all the archives and check out any upcoming show information. Uh, also, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. We also invite you to call us here in the second half of the show, 516-623-1240. We'd like to thank Zach Rosenblatt uh, from NJ.com. He's the Giants beat writer over there and on the Star Ledger. Uh, great job, and he made a prediction for us. He's he's thinking Devonte Smith. Interesting. Well, and and let's be honest. I mean, Joe Judge loves his Alabama guys, and so it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they, there's, he has a lot of ties to Alabama. Um, again, the, the the signing of Kenny Galladay. Without Galladay, I would be I would be sitting here saying almost definitely Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith, you know, whatever of those wide receivers is there. The golly thing has thrown everything for a little bit of a loop, you know, because they do have other needs, offensive line. Although one of the things that, that Zach said that we didn't have a, a ton of time to get into was that the the Giants in the building they are a lot more confident about the offensive line than I think everybody else seems to be. Well, then definitely more than I am. Yeah, like I, and I know you're you kind of right Rashawn Slater seems to be your guy right uh that that is my preference uh I'm always of the belief that you work on your line and and work your way backwards and I'm always all for taking the best available linemen whether it's on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball Uh, taking another receiver makes me nervous uh but look it's worked for them before Hakeem Nix is a Super Bowl champion so We'll see. I like Devontae Smith a lot, and I think he's an explosive player. He's just a little small at that, you know, at that 11 pick. He's a really tiny guy. That scares me a little bit, but it wouldn't shock me to see him be the pick. Like, I really, I could see it very easily. I, I, Micah Parsons is the guy, and, I, and you and I have talked about this on our podcast. Very talented guy, sat out last year, apparently has some maturity, kind of character stuff. But I don't know. I, I keep having this like kind of gut inst- gut feeling that he might be the guy. I, uh, he, I, th- you know, I, I, he's one of my my two or three guys I could see being the pick. Uh, he is. Look, look, he he's going to be on the board for them. Uh, he's the kind of versatile player that that Joe Judge loves, that Dave Gettleman loves, and, and they're going to have to make a decision. And how do you weigh those personal issues? 
versus the performance on the field. And I'm really happy that the two of us don't have to make that decision. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, Zach really did. That was a lot of good stuff that he had in there that, like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that I was not aware of, about, you know, kind of inside the building and a lot. It seems, you know, a lot of the Joe Judge stuff and everything, really good stuff. No, sure. he, he definitely has his ear uh, to the ground, and he, he knows what's going on over there. And uh, look, and, and if he's wrong about Devontae Smith, I, I know you. You won't hesitate to call him out on it. <laughs> nah, we'll see. But the uh, I'm going to say one thing about the draft, and this is non-Giants, and uh, it kind of ties into the Jets here, is that Justin Fields is my guy in this draft. That's the guy I think is going to be the the guy out of this draft. Trevor Lawrence, I think, will be good, but I still I have a lot of questions about him too. I think he's not as, as sure of a thing as I think people are. Uh, and, th- and I'm saying this before that Sports Illustrated article. Did you see the SI article with him recently? I did not. And because he's not like he's not a guy who's obsessed with football. And I mean, he's going to go to the Jaguars, which does not have the most devout fan base. You know, he'd be a guy, let me put it this way, if he was going to Philly or or New York or a team like that, he is not like a, like, does not like love the game where he like just talks about it all the time. You're, you're talking about living and breathing. He's not football. that guy. And he kind of is like, I don't know, like, why does everybody care so much? Like, you know, he's just, like, when the game's over, he, not, not say he doesn't work hard, but he kind of has that vibe of like, I don't really, you know, whatever, just, I'm going to, like, go do my thing. And, well, there was somebody else in this town that kind of gave off the same vibe and, he won two Super Bowl MVPs with the Giants. But Eli, you know, Eli, though, he didn't have the intense kind of, like, you know, grind. But he but he, he was that guy, though, who was in the building all the time. and Sure, yeah. but he, he never gave off that yeah. vibe like no, he was living Lawrence, and breathing. Lawrence, though, like, not only doesn't... Football. He was living and breathing yeah. football. <laughs> but, like, Lawrence gives off, doesn't give off the vibe. But he's... I don't even... I don't know if he's that guy who's going to be in the building... You know, first one in, last one out kind of thing. I don't, I'm just saying, Justin Fields, I feel like because of Cardell Jones and uh, Dwayne Haskins and some other Ohio State quarterbacks, he's not getting the respect he deserves. And if you watch that game against Clemson last year, he took a shot in the first half. He almost he busted his ribs, came back, he threw for like six touchdowns. He, he showed up Trevor Lawrence, first of all. I mean, I, I've just always been a fan of the guy, and I think, I mean, the Jets looks like they're going to take Zach Wilson, who is, yeah, look, he, I actually like his grit and his story, but he, you know he's a smaller guy. He's played against some inferior kind of competition. I'm just saying he's not a sure thing. So I mean, it, it looks as though Trevor Lawrence is going one to yeah. Jacksonville. Uh, Zach Wilson is going two to the Jets. Maybe, maybe Justin Fields goes goes third. Well, San Francisco, I think that's where the draft really begins because there's a lot of smoke about them going with Mac Jones. Yes, and again, I don't know. He he's, he did some good things, but I mean, he had a dominant team around him, so it's very tough to evaluate how that will translate to the NFL with the talent. You had Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, who I mean, I could have probably hit those guys. You know, they were so open. So it, it's interesting, but that's kind of where I, the draft will begin. With that pick, and, and that'll set the, the tone for everything else. I just think whoever's getting Justin Fields is gonna going to get a steal in this draft. There's a lot of quarterbacks that seem like they're all going to go top ten, and it, it, you, I like what you say that the draft begins at three. It, it's going to be very interesting to see how these teams have scouted every quarterback after Trevor Lawrence, and I guess after Zach Wilson also, since yeah. it seems like the Jets are in love. Yeah, but because I mean because of the Giants again sticking with Daniel Jones. For better or for worse, 
combined with the free agency moves they, they made, that and then you know add in that probably five quarterbacks are going to go in the f- first five six picks perhaps. They are the Giants are set up to really, as Zach said, get a blue chip player, and that's really all you can ask for as they continue to build this thing in the Joe Judge era. This is going to have to be the year of Daniel Jones. Yeah, you uh, got to take the step. We we've seen the rookie year where he showed some flashes of promise. Seemed like he he took a step back last year. I, I don't want to go crazy over that. New new coach, new regime, new. Uh, there there was next to no training camp because of COVID. Yeah. Let's see where we are at year three, and then the Giants are going to have to evaluate the quarterback. Position. Yeah, and that and again, and, and this yeah, it's not to make excuses for the guy, but year one was very weird between coaching stuff. Eli kind of, yes, know, in yes. out. It's a weird, that's a weird situation. Year two, you have a new coach in the COVID era, like you're describing. So this is now, okay, this is his team firmly with a, you know, a, a solid head coach in place, a lot of talent being brought in around him. Daniel Jones, you know, he's on the pressure cooker a bit now. Like, you know, this is where his career really, really begins. It's time. Yeah, it's time. We're we're going to see what he's about year three. Year three always seems to be the year where you you, you make your judgment on these players. And this is going to be it. It, It's it's go time for Daniel Jones. And if he doesn't make that leap to the next level, the Giants may have to start thinking about a new quarterback for 2022. It's if he doesn't take the, if he if with the team they have around him now, you know he it, it you know it, the performance is going to be graded differently than it has been in years past. Well, we're a year away for the, from that. <laughs> pace one ourselves. Thing, Let's just pace ourselves. One thing I want to talk about that's yeah. happening right now. You've been waiting. I've been salivating. It is the hottest team in New York City, and New York City is never better. And never more exciting than when Madison Square Garden is being lit up. And right now, Madison Square Garden is being lit up by the New York Knicks. Who would have thunk it? Not me. And amazingly, you are a Knicks fan. I I am a Knicks fan. I don't for for the last you know twenty one years. I haven't liked to admit that I'm a Knicks fan. <laughs> but they're 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 finally showing some life. They're they're doing more than that. I mean, they. This is a they're, team they're a squad. Now. They got a squad. We we said it the other day on our podcast. You made the comment that, of course, now the the Knicks are fun to watch, and you you can only get a couple thousand people into the building. <laughs> it's almost like I know it's, it's ridiculous. Of yeah. course, yeah. Uh, one of the things we mentioned is that over the lit look over the last twenty one years, we know the story. The Knicks have generally been an embarrassment in the twenty first century. And outside of a three-year Carmelo Anthony stretch where they made the playoffs for three years and it culminated in a second-round loss to Indiana, wonderful, You, you, there was no – the fans could not identify with those Carmelo Anthony teams. New York Knicks fans have always been defense first, hustle first, grit first. This is the first Knicks team – since the the late 90s of Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, yeah. and Allen Houston, and Latrell Sprewell that fans can identify with. Yeah, the I mean, it, it's come together in this really weird roundabout way. It doesn't even, even all quite make sense. 
got Tom Thibodeau and his kind of mad scientist thing. A lot of these, like, kind of land of misfit toys and no real superstar. And Julius Randle, who he didn't even really want in the beginning. You know, it's uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Quickly. Like, uh, I mean, R.J. Barrett has taken a step. I mean, this thing has all kind of come together. Um, and then you add in this this new front office regime with you know, Leon Rose and, of course, my man, Worldwide West. It's this whole, again, it does not, look, this was supposed to be the year to kind of reset things and just kind of get through the year, maintain your cap space, put a respectable product out there, and get to the summer and, and then keep, you know, another draft, another free agency class, and keep trying to build this. I mean, now, though, it's like Tom Thibodeau, once he gets cooking, he, he's he got this team now possessed. They're playing out of their minds, not only winning, but having a mentality. I mean, these guys are going shooting at midnight in Westchester. They're, they're on the road. He had to turn off their key cards because they wanted to keep shooting threes. I mean, this team, I, I don't know... The, the the Knicks have had like the worst effort kind of like like body language kind of teams the last bunch of years. And now look at the, it's just it's all turned around nine straight nine straight nine wins. straight. You're talking about the body language of this team in the past. Suddenly Tom Thibodeau has to lock the gym literally so that made them have a blackout so that they can't go practice more. He's trying to get these guys a day off that they're they're refusing. They just they they want to work. And they want to work, and they want to work some more, and winning solves everything. That's the old adage. A hundred percent right. This, this work ethic, embodies the spirit of those older Nick teams going back to the late '60s and early '70s when it was the the Walt Frazier, Willis Reed teams. Now, of course, this this team hasn't had the success of those teams. I I don't want to say that. I want to. I don't want anybody to think of going in that direction. But it's. You know, th- those are teams that just outworked you, and that's what the Knicks are doing. They are grinding you down and winning games in the fourth quarter. Absolutely, and their team. Look, they. I don't think they're quite on the level, of course, of like Milwaukee or no. Philly or Brooklyn. No. But, but they are a team you do not want to face in a second round series or a third round series. Perhaps I mean that, that's a team that's going to beat you up for five, six, seven games. Like it's gonna be a bloodbath, and that's not that's the team. And if they are playing with any t- when anywhere near this type of confidence, you do not want to see them. And it's it's incredible because we've we we're, we're talking about Julius Randle, who is at, today. What's today's date? The twenty fifth. Twenty fifth. The tw- April twenty fifth. Today, Julius Randle is probably. The NBA's most improved player. Oh yeah, he uh, he's been on another in another world the way he's playing. He's, well, because he's shooting, he's draining threes now, and it has completely transformed his game. You, you mentioned the leap that R.J. Barrett took this season, and, and compared to what he was a year ago, when he was starting to show some life. But but let's not forget he came into the league as a teenager. R.J. Barrett has made the leap. Emmanuel quickly is has been a steal from where he was drafted, but. Let's not forget the contributions of the veterans like Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks, yep. Nerlens Noel. Yep. Uh, the Burks and Bullock have been hitting big shot after big shot all season. Nerlens Noel came up with a monster block yesterday, late in the game. It's wild. Uh, everybody is finding a way to contribute, and it's just again, it's just all these like kind of former first round picks who a lot of people didn't seem to really want anymore. 
bunch of Kentucky guys. But if you just look at it overall, and again, I say this, and you know I'm a Laker fan. It's my one kind of non-New York team that I've always I've been a lifelong Laker fan because of Magic Johnson. But LeBron James said this week, and I agree with him, that the league is simply better off when the Knicks are winning. And it's better when MSG is rocking, and the league is, it's just, everything is better for the NBA, especially when the Knicks are playing at this level. So for the last, speaking of LeBron James, going back to when he was going to be a free agent, when he was still with Cleveland, his first tenure with Cleveland, and we were going into that, to an off-season where LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and, and Joe Johnson and, and yeah, Carmelo. Wow. Uh, that's Carmelo really was a year away. Right all these guys were going to be free agents. And it was always get further under the cap so you can sign two of them. Get further under the cap, you could sign two of them. And they signed Amari Stoudemire and traded for Carmelo Anthony. And that's what they came away with. And for some reason, every offseason since then, it has been get under the cap for the, for when the next superstar is going to be a free agent, and it has never worked. No. for the Knicks, Ever. it just it just not even close to working either. This is a brand new philosophy, and we talked about it on our podcast the other day. It's very reminiscent from a couple years ago what the Brooklyn Nets were doing. Mm-hmm. No real superstar. Their best player was probably Spencer Dinwiddie. And all they did was outwork you every single night and, and, and sneak into the playoffs. And that's fine. But what it did was it, it, it gave them a winning culture and it made them a, a decent destination for free agents c- coming up. And that's the reason they were able to sign Kevin Durant and why they were able to sign Kyrie Irving. It's a winning philosophy. It's, it's a, it's a winning culture. We're going back to that word culture again. And that's what the Knicks are building. There are still pieces that they need. They're not a championship no. contender today. But a year, two years from now, if, if they, if they continue building this culture, why not? Well, and they were probably trying to go that same old route that they have been, where you just clear out a lot of room, don't really have that good of a team, you know, on paper, try to get good draft picks and, you know, attract a free agent or two. But this team has flipped the script on that, and they are now winning the nine straight, number four in the East. I mean, so whether you like it or not, it, it, this success has arrived early, and, and the culture has shifted under Tibbs. It, it's it's something that he brought with him that 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 Leon Rose has instilled, that that your man Worldwide West has instilled. Absolutely, and and it's something that they're going to attempt to take forward. To, 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 to the next few seasons. And we're going to see where this takes them. Could, could they be in line for the next great free agent? Maybe. Well, set up now. Why not? They now have, uh, you know, a coach who has this team humming. They have the cap room now. So they are now an attractive, uh, you know, place to go. They have pieces in place. It wouldn't just be whoever that free agent is. Anytime you you sign a free agent, he's gonna want to know what does the rest of your roster look like. If if somebody wants to go to the Knicks now, or if there's an offer on the table, you could say, "Well, I'm gonna go play with Julius Randle. I'm gonna go play with R.J. Barrett. I'm gonna go play with Emmanuel quickly." It, it's a different world for this team now. Uh, the, the whole the whole thing is flipped. And uh, look, I mean, it's a great story because 
you know, nobody saw this coming. Nobody. I mean, again, if you, you know, if they would have been the number seven or eight seed in the East, that wouldn't have been a major shock. But to be playing at this level, this late in the season, where, again, nine straight, playing their best ball, arguably, right now, I mean, the, the, the biggest Knicks fan in the world, Spike Lee, wouldn't have ever predicted no. this one. And I, I, we haven't said his name yet, but a lot of the credit for this should really go to Derrick Rose. You know, they're 11 and 14. They had been playing hard. They, 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 they were competitive, but they weren't great. They weren't winning a lot. They're 11 and 14. They bring in Derrick Rose because he knows Thibodeau's system. He, he, he's played for the Knicks before and he's brought such leadership yep. to this team and a little scoring punch off the bench he's playing late in in games it it it, it it's really a lot of the credit has to be Derek to go to Derrick Rose and you saw how they played when he was out with his covid issues it they're a different team with him yeah no and and uh Derrick Rose has looked re-inspired like he's he's looked you know, you don't want to say old Derrick Rose, but he's he look you know looks like an in prime and inspired Derrick Rose. He has he has taken to heart the leadership role, and uh, Emmanuel quickly has gravitated towards World Wide West's guy. You right know there. what? I'm done talking about this. I know you are dying to get the World Wide West story off your chest. We have about two minutes, a minute, two minutes. Take it. Worldwide West has just been, he's the most fascinating man in sports. And he took a, you know, he's kind of this in the shadows guy, but power broker and is always kind of knows the next thing going on. Him and Leon Rose are, are lifelong best friends from South Jersey. And, you know, Worldwide West has, has been always around the Kentucky program, helps, meant, I don't even know what you want to call him, an ambassador, a, a consultant, a power broker. But he's in the front office now, and I don't know. He he was very he was the man behind Emmanuel quickly coming here. He, he like basically threw himself on the ground to try to get him drafted. I mean, I'm just saying, Worldwide West is the guy like you want on your side when things are starting to get going. And he's a guy when when they need to go to the next level and recruit guys, he has relationships with all of them. You you said it on our podcast that. He always seems to be one step ahead of the always. rest of the league. Always. And look, for, for a Nick team who over the last 15, 16 years went out and, and brought in a bunch of big names that really didn't care any, anymore at that point in their career. And yes, I'm talking about Phil Jackson. And yes, I'm talking about Larry Brown. Yeah. These guys got to a point they didn't care. Worldwide West, the man you love and what you love about him, he's not out front. No. He's not just a face while everybody else is doing the, the brunt of the work. He's not on Twitter. He's not doing any of that stuff. But he he is in the shadows, but he's pulling strings. He's not on Twitter? No. Even I'm on Twitter he's now. He's not on Twitter. That's really embarrassing. No, he's um, that's just not how <laughs> World Wide West operates. You might see he'll be at every major event over the next five years, but he won't be on Twitter. But he'll be in the shadows. He's in lurking. The, and if he ever wants to come on to Sports Talk New York on a Sunday night, World Wide West. I would love to. Uh, it's my, it's my, like, my dream interview, World and, Wide West. And that's the difference between us. You want World Wide West. I want Isaiah Thomas and Steve Mills. <laughs> and Steve Mills. I want them, I, I'll take them both at the same time. Let's have some fun. Oh, man. Well, who would have thunk it, though? This late in the year, the Knicks are, we're not laughing about them. They're, they're not laughing stock. They're the hottest team in New York. 
It, it's really remarkable. So, but yeah, the world's upside down right now, and that's where we're at. So, I uh, want to thank Zach Rosenblatt, Giants beat writer, NJ.com. Awesome stuff. See if his draft predictions turn out correctly. Pete, awesome job. Fun as always. And uh, check us out, WGBB Sports Talk on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And check out the podcast across all platforms. Check us out at Pete and Faz, at Matty Faz NJ. We are Pete and Faz hosting Sports Talk New York on WGBB. Good night, everybody. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.